Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, real food, mindset, and everything in between. I'm Allie Hobson, a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic mama, and clean beauty advocate. I work as a clinical nutritionist for two healthcare clinics here in San Diego and run my own business virtually as an NTP supporting women with their health hormones and body balance from a root cause approach. I specialize in gut healing, autoimmune conditions, thyroid, preconception, and pregnancy wellness by rebalancing the body with the nutrients it needs and the mindset it deserves. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified nutrition and mindset coach. I support women worldwide via virtual coaching and creating a healthy relationship with food in their bodies. I specialize in freedom from dieting and restriction, disordered eating, binge eating, obsession and perfectionism, plus body image, confidence, and self-love. Remember our disclaimer. This podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We're so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 86 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Allie. I feel like you guys hopefully know my voice by now, but I'm doing a solo episode interview today with a good friend of mine, Rachel. And Rachel is probably, let's see, how do I describe her in one word? (laughs) The most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to babies food and everything involved. (laughs) So I'm going to read her bio and then she'll kind of give her background. But Rachel and I met actually through a mutual friend. She's also a nutritional therapy practitioner, or we were just talking about, they added the NTA is where we both went to nutrition school and they now have added a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. So it's an FNTP. I'll probably never remember that, but um, I didn't meet her through that necessarily, but we had a mutual friend also in NTP and Rachel had joined my beauty counter team and she also lives in San Diego and she has two little adorable boys. So we kind of became fast friends and have so much in common and she's been a fantastic resource. So I asked her if she would be interested in coming on the podcast to talk about basically all the things that I ask her on the daily. (laughs) Um, So Rachel is, like I said, a certified functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And what's also interesting, I think this probably plays into maybe a little bit about what she does and how she does it, but Rachel has a master's um, degree in counseling psychology. Um, Her passion is helping families to have healthy, happy, nourished children. Uh, Rachel helps couples optimize their nutrition and start healthy families while finding joy in what they eat. Her goal is to empower women to have enjoyable pregnancies and healthy babies while improving the health of this generation and generations to come. Along with specializing in preconception, prenatal, and postpartum health, she is passionate about helping families transition babies to solid food and helping them set up an incredibly healthy foundation for their babies. She runs First Foods classes to teach families about the important foods to introduce to their babies, how to introduce food allergens, and most important foods to introduce to their babies, how to do it, and so much more. Uh, One of her favorite parts about this class is helping parents get used to foods traditionally viewed in our culture as quote unquote weird, and also showing parents how to prepare them for their families because they are the most nutritious food for babies and adults. So when she's not helping couples get pregnant and have healthy babies, You might find her eating dark chocolate on the beach or hiking a local trail. She, like I said, lives in San Diego with her husband and two sons. She has a three and a half year old and also a 16 month old and their adorable golden retriever scout. So welcome Rachel to the podcast. Thanks for having me on Ellie. 
Of course. So can you give us, aside from that background, um, how did you become interested? Obviously, you're interested in you know, babies and food and nutrition just because that's what you do. But like, what about the food and introducing foods do you think has been like so exciting and fun for you? Well, I think when it was time for me to start feeding my own kids, I realized how much information was out there. And I realized that the information I was kind of getting from my pediatrician wasn't necessarily the route that I wanted to follow. From what I had been researching and looking up, um, there were a lot of important nutrients that were found in foods that weren't typically um, recommended for first foods. Um, so I just started, I just kept researching, 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 and the more I learned, the more important I felt it was, and the more I wanted to help other families understand the importance of some key nutrients that are really important for babies and that are generally missing from the typical first foods that are introduced. Um, so it's a little bit of a different route, and I feel like it's just so, so important to set up babies for lifelong health that it's just become such a passion of mine. I love it. I totally agree. I think there's kind of two different things. Like if you're going to Google baby's first foods, you're probably going to see something like maybe rice cereal or Gerber yogurts or things like that. Or there's a whole other world, which kind of is probably how we were introduced to it more so from like a functional nutritional standpoint, following even like Weston A. Price, that kind of stuff where, you know, it's like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to feed my baby like liver as their first food. <laughs> so we'll get into that and I'll kind of ask you some more about the, the two different schools of thought. Um, but I guess to start, so this was my, you know, question that I had for Rachel in the beginning was I had always read, okay, start solids with baby at around six months. But I feel like there's so many other things to look for aside from just the six month mark. Can you talk to us about some of the things that you should start to look for? Maybe if babies are even ready earlier than that, or say they're six months, but they're not doing some of these other things. What are the, the signs that parents should watch out for? Yeah, generally the recommendations nowadays say somewhere between four and six months, and there's no hard and fast rule. It's kind of there, it's gone back and forth in the research. Um, I'm a little bit wary about starting at four months unless you're basically seeing every sign that baby is ready. But I think that giving the digestive system a little bit more time to mature and seal um, is important because part of the reason why allergies develop is because they'll get little pieces or particles get through the digestive system and in the bloodstream and then your body essentially kind of attacks it and starts to develop a memory for it and therefore kind of develops an allergy. Um, so mm, there is an importance of introducing allergens early, but like before a year, but I still think that waiting, giving the gut a good time to seal and kind of catch up is a good idea. Um, there are a couple signs that you would want to look out for. Uh, so signs of readiness are if the baby is able to sit upright independently or sit with little support. So if you plop them down and they're wobbling and falling over, um, you probably want to give them a little bit more time because their core strength and muscles are actually pretty important for um, chewing and being able to eat properly. Um, you also want to look for if baby is, if you put something in their mouth and they thrust it out of their mouth with their tongue, um, you're kind of waiting for that reflex to diminish. Um, and then if the baby, so likewise, if the baby, you put some food in their mouth and they're ready and willing to chew and they're not thrusting it out, that's, that's a good sign. And then their interest as well. You know, if they're sitting with you and you're holding that or that you're holding them and you're eating something and they're grabbing for it and trying to put them, put it in their mouth. Um, 
those are kind of the main signs. And those combined with age kind of tell you when to start baby. If baby is around six months and not showing the signs, I think it's okay to, to wait a little bit longer um, or maybe start them very well supported on like really basic food, like really thin purees um, if you're worried about the nutrition aspect of it. Okay, yeah. I waited till about like six and a half months just because he was, he was showing like, I would say half of, well, like 75% of those signs, but he wasn't at the point where I could like plop him down and he was like totally chill sitting up. So yeah. So your recommendation, and actually one thing, maybe I'll get into this already, but I remember you saying to me one thing that I could start like even right away before purees was even adding a little bit of bone broth to their bottle. If assuming they can take a bottle or a bottle fed, is that right? Yeah. Or if they don't take a bottle, then give it to them. I don't know, through a syringe or sort of whatever it takes. So you can, you can start doing that. Yeah, definitely. And of course, always speak with your pediatrician, you know, especially if there's any concerns around growth or development needs. Um, but I think a lot of parents feel pressure to start foods early if their baby's on the lighter side. Um, but I actually was reading, there was a study that I found that didn't really show any significant difference in the growth of babies that added solid foods in at four months versus um, more exclusively breastfed to six months. So um, babies' stomachs are so small and they eat such a small amount in the beginning as well. It's not necessarily about like the weight gain. It's It's more you're more focusing on the nutrition aspects of it. Yeah. I, I remember our pediatrician saying, I forget, it was probably around the six months and I just said, you know, I haven't quite started it yet. And we had also been like traveling a little bit. So it's kind of waiting. So we got back home, but he was like, Oh yeah, well, you know, he's, he could, you know, bulk up a little bit, like he's not underweight, but you know, it'll help add poundage to him. And he should be doing about like three ounces, like probably three times a day. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm like terrible. He hasn't been doing any of these things. There's so much pressure around getting your baby to a specific weight and I I hate it. But it's like if they're not ready and they're not going to be eating properly, then they're clearly not going to be eating the food to gain the weight in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah, or you know, they could be having some negative experiences for food and then that kind of cascade follows. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, there is a lot of pressure and three ounces of food three times a day at six months is a lot. <laughs> okay, good. I'm going to ask more, you yeah, we'll yeah, go more about more. Yeah, quantities and what's kind of expected. So um, can you also maybe elaborate a little bit, like if someone is interested in doing the bone broth in the bottle um, to start them out, I mean, is that a good place to start even before purees or what's the reasoning behind doing that? Yeah, I like to start it a little bit. I With both my boys, I started some bone broth before I started feeding them some food. Uh, just, I believe that bone broth has such important nutrients in it, like especially for gut health and for sealing the gut and supporting those membranes that are important for, di- for digestion. I just feel like it's a little bit extra benefit for them. Um, so I would either, I'd give them probably maybe like half an ounce to an ounce um, in the beginning. And I would either mix it with some breast milk and put it in a bottle. Um, since they took bottles, or you could do it in a straw or open cup to their mouth, helping them, or even a syringe or something. Um, and then I'd kind of test it and see if they would just take the bone broth on their own. And if they'll just take the bone broth on their own, there's, I mean, you might as well just give it to them on their own so they get used to it. Um, and then I continually feed bone broth to them even now, but I would kind of use bone broth instead of water in the beginning to also support that because 
it's hydrating and it has all these other nutrients and minerals from the bones like calcium and stuff like that. So I just think it's extra beneficial. Okay. So if you're someone that's not able, well, I say not able as in like myself saying that I do not want to make my own bone broth (laughs) (laughs) mentally, physically cannot uh, figure out how to do that at this time. I was buying and using a little bit of the bonafide. Do you worry about like garlic and, you know, other ingredients being in there, seeing that they've never had any other foods before? Is that fine? Um, yeah, I think it's such a small amount because it's basically cooked in it and then kind of taken out. Um, unless you see your baby, I with anything I introduce, I would watch out for signs and we can talk about that later. But if you're not seeing any digestive distress or discomfort, I, I wouldn't see an issue with it. Um, and you can kind of test small amounts before you go into to more. So you can give just a little bit here and there and see how they're reacting and then kind of up how much you're giving them. Um, but I, I, both my boys did okay with it. So if you haven't seen any major issues, that's the way to go. Um, I really like the Bonafide broth. It's when you defrost it, it's like jello and that's what you want. That gelatinous substance is what is so healing yeah. for the essence. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, Asher did, he seemed to be fine with it. I mean, I just did that little small amount too and put it in a bottle and he didn't seem to know the difference. So it worked out fine for us too. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So with how to introduce the first foods, this was probably, and I don't like to say I made mistakes. It's like, you have no idea. You don't know what you don't know. I was just like, Oh, I'll just like give them food. Um, I hadn't gotten a high chair yet because I just didn't, I don't know. I was like, it wasn't on our list of things that I needed and I wasn't sure which one I wanted yet. So I had the baby Bjorn and I put him in the baby Bjorn, which for those of you listening, that don't know what that is. It's basically like a reclined kind of like bouncer almost kind of thing. So their feet aren't touching anything and they're kind of reclined backwards. So I had him in that and I tried to give him sweet potatoes and the whole thing was like a, a definite no, but for a lot of different reasons. So I quickly realized that hmm, I don't think the baby Bjorn is like the best thing to feed him in um, after talking to um Rachel and doing a little bit of research. What do you think is the best, like optimal posture um, for giving baby their first foods? And then also why is it so important? Yeah, you definitely want them sitting upright and supported, especially if they're a little less good at the sitting piece. Um, You want a high chair that gives the ability to let them sit up straight so they're having proper posture. And then I think the one of the most important features is having a platform on the bottom that their feet rest on so that they're stable. Um, so you don't want them just dangling down below. Um, a couple of good high chairs are the Stoke Trip Trap and the Abbey Beyond Wooden High Chair. The Abbey Beyond is a little bit more price friendly than the Stoke uh, Trip Trap, but uh, I think you can probably find a couple used as well. Um, and they do last, these chairs last a really long time. We have the Trip Trap and we got it with my first and it's still in amazing condition. And it's been used for, you know, almost four years now. We also, I ended up deciding on the Stoke Trip Trap. And one of the reasons I was also excited about that one was because not only does it grow with your kid as they get older, but also it's completely, I guess, you know, for the most part, like non-toxic. There's not as many out there, I think, that are, you know, PVC free, no plastic, BPAs, et cetera. And then I'm not entirely sure of all like the 
the details on the specs of it, but I also know that the tray, right, is pretty, you know, clean and non-toxic mm -hmm. as well, and it removes pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty high-quality chair, I would say, overall, yeah. And, like, my kid who eats everything, including, you know, mouthing his high chair, <laughs> I figure that's better. <laughs> exactly. He turns around and tries to eat the chair all the time. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Um, also, along those lines, is uh, you know, chewing and eating takes baby quite a bit of coordination and core strength, and so it's just important to have them properly supported to help them be able to learn to chew and, and get that those muscles down as well. Got it. So those same muscles, also right, that are holding up the trunk basically of your child, also helps with the the peristalsis and kind of like moving through the intestines and the digestive system. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. When I heard that, I was kind of like, that makes sense to me. I can mm -hmm. understand why sitting up is <laughs> necessary. Yeah. Um, okay. So tools for feeding baby. There's a handful of ways to get the food into your baby's mouth. When you're first starting out, what do you do? It's like there's spoon options, there's hand options, there's mom feeding baby, there's purees. What's your best recommendation? Yeah. So I think this kind of leads into what we probably want to talk about next as well as like how to feed baby in terms of baby led weaning purees what kind of approach um because there's so many ways to feed babies you're right um i kind of i have erred on the side of there's no one right way to feed baby it's kind of what works for your family um and your baby best every baby is different some babies you know will go really well with baby led weaning Others will not be able to tolerate it at all, and that can be frustrating. Um, so I kind of just like to take a combination approach, and I would always feed from the nutritionist anxious <laughs> side of me. I would feed purees to, to know that I was getting the proper nutrition in, and then also give them things to practice. And also within that um, purees, you can have them practice. So spoon hands, yeah, mom can feed baby with her hands, with her fingers. Baby can feed self with hands. That's kind of hard with purees. So with purees, in order to give the baby an opportunity to feed themselves, I would feed a couple spoonfuls. Then I would load a spoon and I would leave it in front of them and I would let them choose which hand to pick it up with. So you kind of put it midline um, so they can choose left or right because you also don't want to like necessarily just assume that they're right-handed and always put it on the right side. Um, you want to kind of give them the choice. So that way it's messy and it often doesn't make it in their mouth, but the more they practice, the better they get. And I think letting them practice, even if it's just a little bit every day, gets them feeding themselves a lot faster, which is also nice for mom and dad, because at mealtime, if by nine months baby can feed themselves, then you can also eat. <laughs> it's just nice to have your hands free. Um, so yeah, I've always done a little bit of both. Um, specific tools, I really like those Avanki baby bamboo uh, spoons. They're bamboo and silicone. We can link to those in the show notes. Um, there's also a utensil called Grabbies, and they make like baby-friendly spoon and forks. And they're like small handles that have a little stopper on the end, so the baby can't stick it too far back in their mouth and gag themselves. Oh yeah, I've um, seen those. Yeah, and they're kind of cool for them to practice, especially with the fork. Um, I probably wouldn't give that to a six-month-old, but, you know, as they get on to nine, ten months and they start getting better with spoons, you know, they can start practicing jabbing and stuff like that, or even closer to a year. Um, they get good at it a lot faster than you would think. Um, and then also, what's good about having babies eat with their hands and getting finger foods is they, it's actually really good, like, sensory 
stimulation. Uh, food is a very sensory process. And also it helps them develop their pincer grasp, which is good. That's the uh, thumb and forefinger pincers coming together. So it's good for coordination as well in motor development. Got it. Um, and not to fast forward too much, because that will be kind of our next, I guess, question. But um, in terms of what baby led weaning is, for those who are not familiar, does that really just mean the baby is feeding himself and it's more smaller chunks of food? Or is there more to it than that? Yeah, usually baby led weaning is based on also like feeding the parents exactly, feeding the kids exactly what the parents are eating. Got it. As well. So it's like, here, I have this food, baby's going to eat that as well. Um, but yeah, it's mostly based on like baby self feeding, obviously appropriately sized food, um, small, soft chunks, because especially at six months, baby is, they do gum a lot of things and they do chew and they can smash things but it still needs to be soft they don't they don't have teeth to use yet so yeah um but yeah that's that's basics of it so do some people just go straight into baby led weaning without doing purees at all yeah completely yeah that sounds terrifying to be quite honest. <laughs> it is a little terrifying and i think that's what scares people about it yeah um so I, that's why i like the combination yeah they would give like you know like a chunk of steak and baby would like suck on that Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe after like a few glasses of wine, where I need to like chill out because I'd have like a heart attack. Um, yeah. Yeah. I personally kind of went the route of doing a combo as well, and still do a combo as well because I. So I've talked a little bit about this um, on the podcast. Uh, but Asher has a pretty sensitive gag reflex, which we will also talk about. Um, and he, he's not necessarily a picky eater. I think he's a picky eater because of the gag reflex, but purees are fantastic. He's all about purees depending on, you know, the flavors. He doesn't like anything sweet, like no fruits, hates bananas, (laughs) kid loves, which I'm so, he like is my child when I say this, but he's like, you know, loves all types of vegetables, meats, all that kind of stuff. But purees, it's like, like you said, I know he's getting the nutrition, which is important to me and he's getting those nutrients. Um, But I do also alternate in one single feeding with smaller little pieces of like chunks of avocado, um, you know, pieces of egg. So, and I will have him practice, but then I also finger feed him to make sure he's actually getting it. Um, and then I'll have him practice with some things too, like, uh, the little puffs. Um, I really like the paleo puffs, that lesser Mm -hmm. evil brand and I'll bite them up and put little pieces so he can kind of practice. I mean, most of it ends up on the floor and Stella, the dog gets it but it's fun for him to practice. So I kind of do like a combination of all these things. Oh, and I do also do spoon feeding Mm -hmm. as well. The spoons that have worked for us that were um, a good recommendation from a friend of mine who is a speech language pathologist. Um, I think they were developed by an SLP and wait, SL, yeah, SLP. And they're called easy peasy. It's E-Z-P-Z. Um, And they have, it literally looks like a silicone little spoon, but they've got three little sensory bumps on the spoon part and then also the handle part. Something about that, I don't know, <laughs> works. Um, oh, that's and great. yeah, so that that works really well for us. And that's kind of what we used. Um, is there, I guess I, I don't want to jump too far ahead again on this, but I also kind of like you're saying, you know, put the spoon down on the tray. 
Um, and I do have him pick it up, not always with food on it because it's just so messy. And it's like the OCD part of me is like, I mean, I put him in like this giant shower curtain thing yeah. and it's like, it's still just everywhere, but sometimes I'll just put it down on without anything or just like the smallest piece and he'll still pick it up and put it in his mouth. So it's almost like he's practicing, but for him, I feel like it's helpful to have him shove it back in his throat because he has a sensitive gag reflex. Is there something to that? <laughs> Am I on the right yeah. track? Yeah, I think that they're, you know, exploring where that is and, and maybe helping push that back a little bit. And then they're kind of getting the different sensations in their mouth as they move it around. Um, so yeah, I mean, all of those things help quite a bit. Got it. Okay. So moving forward to the baby led weaning to go, you know, back to that. Um, yes, you can do kind of a combo approach, I think, as we've talked about, but Tell me your thoughts on, you know, maybe the pros and the cons or kind of reading your baby to know like, hey, my baby seems like he would be much better off doing baby led weaning or he seems like, I don't know, kind of doing a combo or purees. Like, how do you kind of read that and decide what to do? Well, I think you can try a little bit of both from the beginning, you know, offer them a little bit of a finger food and see how they do with it. And if it's, you know, they're not able to even, you know, chew something soft like an avocado in a small chunk or, um, you know, they're having trouble swallowing that, then that would be a good sign to maybe kind of stick with purees for a little while until they're, um, they mature a little bit further and give them opportunities here and there. But you also don't want them having a lot of a negative association. So lots of gagging and the throwing up, you know, the, that can develop a negative association with food and then kind of lead down the line to pickiness because it's almost a fear-based pickiness, you know, like this hasn't been enjoyable. This kind of hurts. I'm going to avoid this sort of thing. Um, I think that, like I said, just a little bit of both is really helpful and watching what your baby does in the beginning and then not, only watching what they do in the beginning, but continually like offering them and seeing where they're at just to kind of monitor and go with what's best where they are. Um, I think that the self-feeding is really important. It's just such an important skill overall and it helps them in so many other assets of development. And like you said, it's messy. And part of the mess is great because it's such a powerful sensory experience um, for them to go with but as a parent you're like oh my gosh look at his <laughs> high chair yeah. lots of time in the beginning you know no clothes and a bib is the best way to go a diaper and a bib <laughs> is the way to go you know yeah um, or stick them right in the bath after if it's you know uh because just last night you know Noah was pretty much covered in head to toe in pasta sauce and we <laughs> picked him up took him out of side chair and put him into the tub <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess i worry too about just like how much they're getting you know, like how much they're actually getting in their mouth. But then I guess that also leads me to my other question. At, at what age should they, um, I guess, and I hate to even say this because developmental and milestones are such a wide spectrum. It mm -hmm. seems like they're very specific, but there can be months off. But, you know, at what age, maybe the pincer grip, like, could they be using that or should be? Uh, I think it usually oh. starts to develop typically about nine months is when you start to see it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't, that's why I kind of like a little bit of both. I often still feed the boys, both of them sometimes. Um, and I'm kind of watching to see what he's getting into his mouth. You know, I sit with him and, 
if I see it all ending up on the floor or the dog is chewing away down there, then, you know, I'm wondering how much he's getting in or, or maybe if he doesn't like it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, they're eating such a small amount that it's kind of easier to keep an eye on. And as they get older and older, it's not so much about the amount. It's kind of about when they feel full. And that's different for every baby too. Um, it, even in the beginning, it's different for every baby. Um, that's why I, I've had some people ask me like, oh, like how much fat, protein, and carbohydrate should the baby eat? And I'd be just very hesitant to give specific amounts because part of part of babies learning to feed is them learning when they're full and knowing intuitively like when they've had enough and kind of them getting the nutrients in. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to those cues as well and and not force baby to eat when they're clearly like turning their head away or pushing away from the table or groaning or not opening their mouth. Um, you just kind of want to respect where they're at if, if that they've decided that they've had enough as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that combination of like, what is the appropriate macro? Like that's the same for an adult, you know? Like if I, if someone asked me that, I would be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that really depends on what it is that we're working on with you and your digestive function. I can't really tell you that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And then one thing that I've noticed, which I find interesting, maybe kind of the idea of more so behind baby led weaning is if I'm holding him and I'm eating something, he, no matter what it is, he wants it. Mm-hmm. More so than he wants it always in his high chair. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they, you know, baby sees mom do something and baby wants to do it, which I guess could make sense. Like why baby led weaning, you know, it's you're having what they're having, they're having what you're having. Is that kind of maybe like the mental, like psychology side behind it, you think? Yeah. Yeah. That's a part of it. I mean, even now, honestly, that's one of your best tools because if you're modeling for them, like obviously baby, babies are just looking at you and everything you do they're modeling, you know, that's how they're learning. And so if you're eating those great foods, they're going to want them too. And that kind of goes, stays true, I think, into toddlerhood. And I think that's sort of one of our greatest tools. Like there will be times my toddler will just push away the same salmon I have in my bowl. And then he'll go play and I'll be still eating and he'll come over and he'll just devour the rest of my lunch. I'm like, well, thank you. But I mean, (laughs) you ate my lunch, I guess. But I just served you the same thing, but it was better on my plate. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last night I was eating, I was holding him and I was eating, um, I don't know if you've had these, the banana, like oh, yeah. um, plantain chips. They're super hard, like very crunchy. I And he wanted it so bad. And I literally just like, I tried to just like put it in his mouth a little so he could just taste it. But then I pulled it away really quickly. Cause I'm like, if you bite of the bite this, like your tooth's going to break and then you're going to choke and like, <laughs> you know, gagged to death. But I was like, okay, what can I give you that like, doesn't make you feel like I just deprived you food? Cause I don't want that. So yeah. I, you know, quickly I had like three puffs left and I gave him one, yeah. but I felt so bad. I was like, I don't want to tell you, you can't have things, but this is not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he's going to choke on it or gag on it, yeah. Or you could try like the tiniest little piece, but those are pretty hard. They're really, yeah. yeah. They were too aggressive. The puffs work out fantastic. It's literally a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so now that we've addressed the how, um, let's talk about the what. What are your first favorite foods to give to baby, aside from the bone broth that we kind of already covered? And I mean, if you want to give as many as you would like, but maybe like your top five favorites or something in the order of which to do them, perhaps. Um, and then why, you know, going back to like why this might be a different approach, like the first foods that you're going to say, 
uh, I feel like could be very surprising to some people to be like, what? <laughs> Definitely. This is my favorite part because I think that as adults, we carry our own preconceived notions into what we feed, what we think that our babies and our children are going to like. And that plays a big role often in what we feed them. And I think actually that's one of my favorite things about the first food classes that I run is that I get to show, I kind of go over that and, and discuss with parents like their preconceived notions and what they think about food and how food was kind of seen in their family and, and what that means for them and, and what they think babies should eat. Um, because I think that that is so important just out through the years as they go on as well. But I think that uh, by and large in our society, we've sort of moved away from a lot of these traditional foods and we see them as gross or weird. Um, but these foods are actually the most nutritious we could possibly feed baby. Um, so for my top five foods, you're probably going to be like, mm, <laughs> where am I going to get those and how am I going to do it? And that's, that's kind of why I also like to run the classes. Um, I, top food for sure for baby is liver. It has all the nutrients. It's basically nature's multivitamin. And so part of the reason I'm saying what I'm saying is that babies eat such a small amount of food when they're first feeding. So at six months, they typically eat somewhere around one to three tablespoons. Usually about one um, is pretty typical, which is not very much food. Like um, per feeding or per day? Like per feeding, but usually you're only feeding them about once a day. So okay. yeah, per day, it's it's probably around an, an one to two ounces, I would say, um, depending on the size, et cetera, et cetera, how much breast milk you're feeding them when you feed them, et cetera. Um, but I'll, I'll go over the top list of foods, but I kind of want to tell you why. Yes, well. please. I definitely want to know why. Okay. So my top list of foods, I'll just name them out and then I'll kind of go into why. So liver, I said, is one. Um, oysters are another amazing one. They are chock full of iron and zinc, just like liver. Uh, bone marrow is a fantastic fat and has a lot of easily absorbed heme iron, which is the most important form. Um, and then I love uh, grass-fed red meats like lamb, beef, or bison. And then in the fish side, salmon and sardines are some of the top fish. Um, now, why those foods? Those foods all have a lot in common. And the main nutrients they have in common are um, iron, zinc, and uh, long chain omega-3 fatty acids, so DHA and EPA, and then also choline um, is another big one. Um, they also are chock full of B vitamins, vitamin A, um, salmon's good for vitamin D, uh, sardines are great for calcium because of the bones, you can mash those up, they're super soft, and you can just mash up the sardines and that way they're eating the whole fish. Um, but so why, these, why iron and zinc? Well, because at between six and 12 months, uh, a baby's need for iron is the highest it'll ever be in their life. So babies typically need about nine times that of an adult male uh, for iron and four times an adult male for zinc. Wow. It is a lot in one yeah. tablespoon of food. And why is this so important is because iron doesn't really transfer well through breast milk. Um, so at six months about, babies are, are running out of their iron stores that they have from birth, which is also why, just putting this in there, delayed Cord clamping is important because it gives them more of an iron store to live off of, essentially, because it, it's pumping more blood into their bodies. Um, so even if a baby is formula fed, obviously formula is iron fortified, but real food is just so much more well absorbed and 
particularly heme iron is the kind of iron that you would like because this is the easiest, easiest absorbed form um, rather than iron that comes from say like spinach. Um, why is iron so important? It's brain food, literally. It supports myelination, um, cognitive abilities. Uh, and there's studies out there that show that iron deficiency anemia in babyhood is associated with like kind of cognitive delays. So there's a study that shows that babies who are anemic before two have like lower scores in school, um, even, even past babyhood, you know, four to 19 years old. Um, so this is important because I think a lot of the first foods that we tend to give baby are not iron rich. You know, sweet potato, cooked pear, apple, um, pumpkin, squash, and those are all great foods and they are great to feed baby along the way. But as like only feeding them that for the meal, it's not giving them the nu real nutrition that they need. And I think we think, okay, well, I'm going to feed them like vegetables because they're easily digested. But in reality, actually, animal foods are actually very easily digested. And babies come with all the enzymes they need to, to digest animal foods. So um, I think sometimes we also have a negative connotation for animal foods in, in health in some health circles. And um, it's, they're just so, so, so important. Um, it's very hard to get the same level of nutrients from other foods as you can from animal foods, and especially in their easily absorbed form. Um, so like for comparison, spinach contains about 0.4 grams of iron in one cup, and an ounce of beef will contain um, 0.6 more grams. So an ounce of beef is, about, is usually about a tablespoonish. Um, so your child's probably not going to eat a cup of spinach, and if they did, it would still be less iron, and it wouldn't be quite as absorbable because spinach also has oxalates in it, which are, um, that usually they block um, digestion, so you really have to cook them down in order to be digestible as well. Um, and bone marrow, which is one of my favorite fats for babies, is has about 2.7 milligrams of iron for every about four tablespoons. Um, so still more than beef. It's probably, it's about, you know, 0.8 milligrams or so of iron in a tablespoon. Um, so yeah, that's about what you would find in one tablespoon of liver. Interesting. So for example, like the bone marrow, if it has that much iron, because we also don't want to over, you know, feed too many of these nutrients. Um, what would be like the appropriate, you know, say you're starting at six months, appropriate quantity to give a little bit of bone marrow? Um, I'd usually mix in somewhere about a tablespoon probably into their food. Like if I was going to just feed a squash or a sweet potato, mm -hmm. I would be mixing in the bone marrow with it. And then they're getting the iron that they need is along with the other nutrients. Um, if for some reason you're not comfortable feeding them, you know, a beef or a grass-fed lamb or something like that, or liver. Um, I think it's really, really, really hard to overfeed babies iron. Okay. Uh, you know, adults, it's a little bit different, especially adult male, because they don't have periods every month, so they're not, you know, getting rid of blood. Um, but I think by and large, the deficiency is more common. And I don't, I, for, for the needs of a baby for iron, I think it's really, really, really hard to overfeed. Your baby would have to be eating a lot of these foods. And typically, like I said, they're eating one to two tablespoons, which is about what they need. 
Got it. Um, next question is how, where do we find this stuff? So I have seen liver like in the grocery store, but I'm always like, okay, I don't know if that's sketchy. Do I buy it frozen? Do I buy it fresh? Um, Asher's first food, aside from the sweet potato that I did try, um, which he barely consumed, I'd say he kind of like flung it as as much as he touched it. (laughs) Um, but his other first food was the liver pate. Um, and when you're saying liver, um, I think you're meaning it as a pate typically, at least to start out. Is that right? Yeah, generally it's easiest kind of to do it in pate because it also comes with other foods. Like usually in a pate, there's some sort of like fruit in it, like a pear and some, a few like thyme or other herbs and also a lot of fat. So it's a very complete food. I mean, you can just cook some liver and chop it up and feed that as well as puree <laughs> it up. Um, but I think the, the pate is a little bit more of a like palatable yeah. food. Totally. Yeah, I, I tend to look for obviously a high quality liver. Like you want it to be organic and as pasture raised as possible. Um, Whole Foods carries Mary's, which is pretty decent. Is it I frozen tend, or fresh? Yeah, uh, sometimes it's fresh, but very, rarely they have it fresh. Um, but usually it's frozen. And okay. you can also do a duck or a beef liver. Um, beef liver is the highest in vitamin A. So babies should probably eat less beef liver than, say, like chicken liver. Um, and um, I also get them at U.S. Wellness Meats. That's one of my favorite places to get it it is it does come frozen um but i you can order it and it ships straight to your door and so that is very 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 convenient (laughs) yeah and they also have bone marrow is that right yep um so bone marrow you get from marrow bones um so usually you want to look for the long marrow bones i find the round ones don't yield as much marrow and the split ones are okay but i i like the round ones better um, so local farmers markets are a good place. Like here in San Diego, De La Ranch, they're at a lot of the farmers markets, and they have really, really high quality uh, beef and chicken. They sell liver as well, um, and then U.S. Wellness Meats, and then Whole Foods can be a source. Um, when I go to Whole Foods, I just make sure if I'm getting the bones that they're organic and grass-fed. Um, so you want to look for organic and grass-fed if it's beef, and then if it's chicken, you want to look for organic and pastured. Um, so everything contains as little toxins as possible. I think that's kind of in general for baby food. I really err on the side of organic and everything being grass-fed, pasture-raised, or wild-caught if it's fish, um, just to reduce that, that toxin load. You want to make sure the food is as clean as possible for them because they're so little. Totally. Um, I need to get some more because – so Rachel had made me some liver pate, and this is where we – kind of started, or she maybe started developing like, Hey, I should really like teach other people this. Cause I, I just went over to her house and I was like, I do not know how to make liver pate and I don't even know where to buy it. So if you are making them, I will take whatever extras and I will pay you. (laughs) And then, um, it does make, so we'll link a recipe, um, that Rachel uses and you can freeze a ton of it and you only use a little bit at a time. Currently I had a little bit left in my freezer and my freezer has since then died. (laughs) And so I need to make more. Um, And I haven't tried, um, I have tried a little bone marrow, but I need to do a little bit more. So I'm going to go to the farmer's market now that I know kind of where to get it. But I do think, yeah, U.S. wellness meat seems like a good option as well. Yeah. And then, so when we're talking about introducing foods, we want to introduce foods like individually, correct? Like try things, you know, one at a time to understand, you know, A, if there's any sensitivities, you know, what it is they do like about it, don't like about it. Um, 
is that your recommendation? I mean, to give them, I guess, as blends, like, is, is that okay? So for example, if you're saying give liver pate as their first food, it, it automatically has other things in it now, like a pear, you know, thyme, some other things. So is that okay to introduce a blend all at once or how often are you trying something new? Yeah, I think in the beginning, I usually err on introducing single foods, especially for the allergens. But in something like the liver pate, which is actually nice for a first food because it's so smooth, but it can be used. It's really easy to put on a spoon and have baby try to feed and like mess around with. Um, so it's kind of a mix between a puree, but it's thicker. So that is nice about it. But typically, uh, pear and thyme and, and bone broth is kind of what's in the recipe. And then um, either a ghee or coconut oil, whichever fat you um, feel like you want to use. Um, I think that would be the only thing would be maybe testing out a little bit of the fat that you're going to use beforehand um, to see if that has any issues. But generally, if the baby was having issues with the pate, it would probably be the fat that you were using rather than the thyme or the pear. Those are pretty safe foods. Um, so if it's a safe food like that or like a sweet potato or a squash, I don't, I didn't usually hesitate in mixing that in, you know, with a beef or a lamb. Because um, I think those foods do offer a lot of valuable nutrition as well. Um, I lean towards animal-heavy foods, especially in the beginning and kind of through toddlerhood. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not serving fruits and vegetables as well because the texture and the taste and the different flavors and all of that is all really important to introduce. But typically what I do is I will introduce the same food for three to four days at a time. So let's say you pick soft boiled egg yolk. I suppose eggs should have been on my list too because they're pretty high in most nutrients as well. Um, but so say you choose soft boiled egg yolks um, for your first food. I would just give the egg yolk and I would give that once a day for three days in a row and I would look for various signs like obvious, the obvious signs would be difficulty breathing or you know anaphylaxis which would be you know, a call to 911, and that would be the most severe sign that they actually have a true anaphylactic reaction to the food. Um, but you also want to look for things kind of as the days go by, like changes in their stool, which is natural for eating. You know, it's going to look different than the yellow that you're used to if you're breast milk, if you're feeding breast milk. Um, but rashes, um, skin rashes, diaper rashes, eczema popping up. Um, anything like hives, anything like that would, would kind of tell you that the baby has a reaction to food. And usually you would think, well, maybe I should stop feeding them that food. But they've actually shown that little introductions of that food consistently through the first year could actually help reduce the allergy if they do have sort of a mild sensitivity or allergy to it. Mm -hmm. um, so you're just kind of keeping an eye. And I actually have this fun chart that I use for my boys that I um, put in the ebook for the class um, to track the foods and to kind of write down what they ate and how much and, and what the reaction was. So you can kind of look at and, and see a pattern over time when you're um, feeding them these foods. Um, but yeah, typically about three to four days is what you want to give that food before introducing another new food. And these and are I, just allergens, is that right? Or just any foods? I would say in the beginning, sort of most foods. Okay. I don't, like I said, like, I think adding in a little bit of sweet potato here or there with those foods and kind of seeing, or, you know, after two days, you're not seeing anything and you want to add a little bit of a sweet potato or a squash or something to what you're doing. I think that that's fine. But yeah, I kind of keep the foods pretty plain at first and then 
start blending as I go on. Right. Um, so I'm thinking like sardines, for example, sardines, isn't something that I would give him just like blended up sardines with breast milk. I mean, I certainly could, but I would think that that would be something that you would mix in as a blend with, you know, something else. Right. Yeah. I may you can, you can just give them straight up sardines. Um, or you could, sardines are great because they are so soft that you can just mash them up and give them the baby like that. And that's kind of a good one to mix as like a baby blood weaning. If you want to do a combination um, salmon too, because it flakes off and it's so soft and babies can just gum them. Like they can chew those through their gums or basically swallow it by pressing it to the roof of their mouth with their tongue. So it's pretty easy for them to get those down if you smash it up. Um, that's typically how I would serve it. I would kind of just smash it up and give it to them and see if they did like it or not. And also along those lines, like sometimes baby won't like the food at first and then you give it to them the next day and they eat it or it takes a few days. So I would say don't get discouraged if your baby is pushing something away that you really want them to eat. Let it go, try again, and kind of keep introducing that food over time. And over time they develop a taste. Typically it takes somewhere between eight to 30 times to develop a, like, uh, a feel for the food and to like the food. Uh, so, which is a long time for adults. It's easy to get discouraged and be like, well, they're never gonna eat this, I'm gonna stop. Um, so it's just important to keep in mind. Or the opposite, I've noticed that I'll give him something one day and like literally the next day he's like, nope. I'm like, you, you just ate this yesterday. <laughs> no, we'll do that sometimes too. Oh, he'll so he'll funny. do that, yeah. And the oysters, um, when I say oysters, I don't mean like raw oysters, usually like the canned oysters. If you, like Crown Prince is a decent brand. Um, they're really, really, really soft, but they are super stinky. That's one of those foods that it's easy to chop up and give to baby. They're literally like you can squish them between your fingers and they would smash down. Um, but they are really, really high in iron and zinc as well and an allergen. So it's good to introduce because it's a shellfish. But that is something like you would. Um, so oysters, I would definitely introduce on your own. Sardines or salmon, I would introduce mostly on their own at first because fish can be an allergen. Um, egg, corn, corn soybeans. Um, even coconut, I kind of would do a little bit on their own, like coconut oil. Um, avocado isn't typically one that you would think of an allergen, but actually my brother's fiance is allergic to avocado, like legitimately. So yeah, I, I have a lot of patients that are allergic to avocado that I yeah. see sometimes. I'm like, really? That's terrible. I know. I, I think I would die, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, other, other sensitivity foods in terms of introducing. So we want to introduce them, I think you said this, but anywhere from like six to 12 months, right? So you want to get most of the allergy foods in possible before the year mark, including- yeah, Allergen foods, the earlier, the better. And in regular rotation, actually just found something that's available on Amazon. There's like little packages of everything that you hmm. can just like mix in the food to like kind of keep these allergens in rotation, which is very interesting. Huh. Um, I didn't have that when I- <laughs> or there's another brand that I, I'm not thinking of the name, but they actually have like, they'll do like mango and shrimp or whatever it is. And they'll have these different curries with all these things mixed in. Cause like for me, it was like, I had to actively think about how I'm going to introduce soy. I was like, I don't really have anything in my house. So I was like, I'll just go get some soybeans and cook those and, you know, blend those up or mash them with a bunch of fat. And so that's kind of how I did that. Cause I was like, I also wanted to introduce a quality form, you know? Like, are you talking about like edamame soybeans? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's what I did. Hmm, I have not done that one yet. I also still need to do shrimp. 
Mm. I, I have the shrimp, but I need to blend it in something. <laughs> Mango is really great with shrimp. It tastes really good or like plantains or something like that. Yeah. Um, shrimp is great. Also a lot of good nutrients, very high in zinc as well. Um, what about, what, what is your thought on introducing, I think the one that everyone's like terrified of is peanut butter. Yeah. Um, peanut butter and nuts. Um, and yeah. then I'd love to hear your thoughts on dairy, not just yeah. introducing it, but how often would you continue to introduce it if at all? Yeah. Nuts, you definitely want to introduce early as well. For nuts, I would do obviously the easiest form is a nut butter because it's blended. A nut butter would just preferably organic and with nothing else in it. Um, I would do a super small amount on my finger, my pinky, like I'm talking like a dab, especially for some of the major ones like peanuts at first. Um, some people do it in the parking lot of their pediatrician's office before they go in for oh. a checkup. So just in case, if they have it, something that runs in the family, I've heard of people doing that. So How it's like, funny. if something never... happens, <laughs> a good idea. you're right there at the doctor's <laughs> office and right. at least, you know. Um, the first time I did it, I was like, I mean, I was home by myself and I'm thinking, what if something does happen? Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know what I would do. <laughs> Is there like something that you should keep in the house? Like even an antihistamine or Benadryl would probably help. But if it's that much of a reaction, I would call 911 and then go get the Benadryl. (laughs) Yeah. So Benadryl, (laughs) like a liquid Benadryl is good to keep around just in case. Um, Like I have digestive enzymes. How do we feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's literally all I have. (laughs) It can be a little scary. So just a really small amount for those super high allergens at first. And then kind of see, I would see how that initial reaction went. And then I'd give them a little bit more just to kind of make sure that I was actually like introducing it and wasn't missing something. And then I'd give that a few more minutes and then I'd just give like a little bit more. And that's kind of like how I introduced like the, the scary ones like peanut butter and stuff at first. Um, dairy. And those, uh, yes, dairy, that's what I was thinking. So dairy is a good one to introduce, preferably in the form of like a raw cheese in the beginning. And soup, it's actually, raw cheese is actually a super nutritious food and comes along with the enzymes for baby to digest it. So that's why I recommend raw or at the very least, like a vat pasteurized cheese or um, a grass fed or like, you know, like an organic valley. Um, but if it's some, if it's like a chunkier food, so what if they're not able to like, you know, eat a piece of cheese? Like, are you melting it first or... You I did yogurt. Like, yeah, you can do yogurt as well. Yogurt or kefir are good too, like raw okay. kefir or, or um, organic valley or anything, any kind of grass-fed yogurt. Um, Maple Hill Creamy also makes a good one that, that's vat pasteurized, um, mm-hmm. so it's not raw um, if that's a worry for you. Um, and that's like vat pasteurization is a really low heat, so it doesn't destroy all the enzymes, whereas a pa- like a high a full pasteurization will destroy a lot of the enzymes that we use to digest. It's called the VAT, dairy. like V-A-T? Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. I did not know that. And I Maple think, Hill? Yeah, that's what they do. Okay, cool. That's the one that I bought. They come in like individual things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yogurt is a great one. It also comes with probiotics, so that's great. Um, cheese, you can mash up really small. Um, usually I'll get the like um, organic pastures raw cheddar, and that's you can get that pretty soft. I suppose you could melt it a little bit and that would be soft as well. Um, that might be a way to do it. Um, but it's also a good little finger food in little tiny chunks for mm-hmm. them. Um, so for dairy, I think it's fine to introduce and, and watch for reactions. Uh, goat, goat, goat yogurt, 
Um, goat cheese, also another good option if they're not reacting to cow very well. Um, I prefer to give dairy away from iron-rich foods. Uh, dairy can interfere with the absorption of iron. So especially in the beginning, I would, I would not give them at the same time. So I wouldn't feed them their liver with the cheese. I would feed the cheese at a different time of day. Um, how often kind of depends how baby does with it, um, but still good to introduce kind of on a regular basis. I would avoid actual milk until about one year because of the um, risk for anemia, because the dairy does interfere with the absorption of iron. That's the main reason why it's recommended to wait till a year to introduce milk. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll ask you more about the milk transition. Um, but I want to ask you about, which we've talked in great lengths, Rachel and I, she's been such an amazing resource for me because, um, as I mentioned, Asher does have a pretty sensitive gag reflex. So anything that's not mashable or more chunky, um, sometimes even I was giving him, I cut up little, those birch bender paleo waffles into little strips and I didn't even like toast. I just like warmed it. So it wasn't even you know, super crunchy or anything. And he did okay, did okay, and then did not do okay. And when he gags, um, basically what it sounds like is happening is he can't, he doesn't have like a super strong tongue mobility to push the food physically out of the way. So he doesn't choke on it. So what he does is he gags and then he'll also like throw up pretty aggressively, <laughs> depending on how full his stomach is, which is terrifying. And, um, you know, it's, it's for him, it's scary, which we, you know, had mentioned like the associations with certain foods and food fears and things like that. I don't think he's gotten afraid of anything quite yet, but I definitely, you know, don't want it to get there, but it can create like picky eaters and, you know, all these different things. So some of the questions I'm asking, um, like the cheese, like <laughs> that's cause I was like, well, he can't eat a chunk of cheese. Um, but some, most babies, um, I would assume, you know, is, is probably okay. Like I have, you know, maybe a different kind of experience or what I'm kind of working with, but I don't think that gag reflexes are uncommon, especially if there's like an unidentified tongue tie, which could yeah. be a whole other thing. I have had him checked for that multiple times. Um, but I don't know if you're familiar, there's a, um, a group here in San Diego called like the tongue tie team or something hmm. that I don't know. Someone told me about them. My chiropractor actually mentioned them. So I might go get like a fifth opinion, but, um, <laughs> if that's happening, it could be an unidentified tongue tie, but um, what do you recommend? Like if you're seeing these issues, like, okay, he's, you know, gagging on so many different things, or there's like more consistent, like throwing up than seems normal or like babies who are just like super, super picky. Like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of things that can go into it actually. So uh, from personal experience as well, Noah had a very high palate when he was born and also a very, very strong gag reflex. Um, and he also then ended up having a tongue tie, which we had reversed um, because he was having some issues. He did great until about a month. And then we saw issues when we introduced a bottle. And um, also I just such a strong flow that he like forgot how to latch. And it all became apparent when, um, when we tried to introduce the bottle and we went down this whole route that led us to OT as well. And I'm actually grateful for the experience, even though at the time and the appointments was um, quite overwhelming and, and not the way I wanted to spend my baby, but I am quite grateful for the experience. Um, and it's given me a lot of insight into the feeding issues and stuff like that. And I was worried because having a high palate can often be associated with picky eating. That's one of the, um, that's something that comes along with that. Uh, I think it's because 
I think food just goes in funny and it might be for textures. But so I was really worried. I was like, I don't want him to be a picky eater. You know? Food <laughs> is my thing. This <laughs> is what I do. Like, um, so I decided to jump on the OT train as quickly as possible because of that. Um, and I, I am thankful I did. So my recommendation is if you are seeing anything that is worrisome, you know, they're not able to handle any kind of texture, they're gagging a lot, they're having the throwing up issues, is to at least tell your pediatrician about that and get their opinion. And depending on how you feel about that, also possibly seek out like an occupational therapist, specifically a occupational therapist that is a feeding specialist. Um, locally in San Diego, we went to San Diego Occupational Therapy and we've had such a great experience with them. Um, you typically have one therapist that sees your child and then I've actually worked with a few different ones just here and there from appointment availability and a couple times that she wasn't available or sick. Um, and they've all been really, really wonderful. Um, so every baby kind of develops at a different rate, um, but definitely I would say the sooner you jump on, um, if you notice difficulties, like just go get it checked out. The worst that's going to happen is that they're okay, you know, um, and if they need services, then you can find those. And typically if your pediatrician refers you, then the services are covered under insurance. Um, I know it can also be, from Allie's experience, very frustrating to have this happening all the time as a parent as well, and for the difficulties. So, you know, for everyone's sort of mental health and, and sanity. <laughs> yeah. My pediatrician, when I had mentioned this, uh, he had recommended doing physical therapy. And in terms of it would help with the gag reflex, but then I could also use physical therapy because he wasn't, you know, quite sitting up like on his own, super, super sturdy, mm -hmm. um, kind of at like the appropriate age, I guess you could say. Um, and for me, I was like, well, maybe that's part of the feeding issue and the whole thing. So we did physical therapy for a little bit, which I do think helped. And, and physical therapy, what they did was she would just, you know, put a glove on and basically move around and kind of try to like desensitize his palate. Um, but I had a conversation with the occupational therapist because it really, it helped, but it wasn't like the problem is not solved for sure. Um, and this is when she said, you know, I think it's more of a tongue strength issue. So I have yet to figure out what I'm going to do for OT because the place that Rachel mentioned, my insurance doesn't take. Uh, so they do have a few more options. Um, and then she did, you know, give me a whole rundown on like, ways that insurance could actually pay for it through like, I don't know, other stuff. So anyways, we're still figuring it out, but I think, yeah, it's apparent to me that I, I do feel like oh, occupational therapy could be really beneficial and there are ones specific, specific for feeding. So. Yeah. yeah and you know, the gag reflex or specific exercises you can do and things like that. So, and um, you know, it, there, there is a lot that you can do, even if you do see these problems early and just the earlier you tackle the challenges, usually the easier it kind of is because if it goes into toddlerhood, these patterns develop and they get used to these things and so they're harder to break and then you know it's a kind of a longer process as well mm -hmm. um so some of the things you want to look out for that we've been talking about are like a shallow gag reflex difficulty swallowing they're often choking on any sort of texture or food like if you give a chunk of your puree and they just cannot handle it maybe they're not ready for it but if you kind of keep seeing that over a few weeks it might be good just to mention or talk to someone about it um, or even small chunks of food, like you mentioned, Asher would just, it would be really difficult for him to handle, uh, or vomiting after eating certain foods or textures. Um, in terms of like, they're having difficulty eating it, so it's causing them to vomiting. Vomiting as an allergic reaction is 
is a different story. Um, if you if they often choke or gag on liquids, so Noah would do that a lot, and it would kind of that's another cue for me was like he also had some of that the tongue strength issues, um, and you know Asher had difficulty taking a bottle, so some of that could, I mean sorry uh, difficulty breastfeeding he's mm-hmm. you know exclusively breastfed via the via the bottle, so those things I think can play a role in developing the tongue strength. Um, also refusing most textures except for fur purees like especially as they begin to approach nine ten months um or not having any interest in food including purees and then like i said if your baby has a high palate like biologically um and you see some of these other signs it would be a um good to go get checked out by either a pediatric dentist or an occupational therapist or, or your pediatrician perfect Love all that. Well, I will report back once I have more occupational therapy updates, but yeah, it's just, it's so hit or miss with him. Like some, you know, for like a week, he's totally fine. Like I fed him parts of a muffin today and he was like all about it. And I was just like, okay, so are we done having the problems now? (laughs) But then like, you know, tomorrow he might like completely vomit out of his mouth and nose all over the place because of (laughs) something I gave him. Like, I don't know. So yeah, it's definitely worth getting checked out. It just seems it's so it's just like one of okay like another yeah. another thing but I, I feel like as you're saying moving into toddlerhood like it's definitely something that if you can nip it in the bud now and improve their experience you know it's going to be just so much better for for everybody <laughs> yeah. and even if you don't and even if you catch it in toddlerhood you know humans are incredibly adaptable and feeding specialist occupational therapists are generally some of the most wonderful human beings on the planet and so, you know, you're, you're in good hands and, and nothing's ever completely lost, you know, yeah. and it is frustrating on the parents part, you know, it's something else to deal with. And I totally get that because it's been, you know, we've been going to OT since Noah was like four months, um, he's 16 months now. So, and it was a lot and at a point we were going twice a week. Um, and that on top of anything else that I was doing my own physical therapy, it's just, you know, I was like, okay, so when do I get to like have time for myself at any point? Like when do I get to sleep? You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Right. And the OT person that you saw in San Diego, she actually was just on a podcast, um, the Whole Mamas podcast, which we'll link to. Her name is Stephanie Drummond and she's, you know, so, so, so knowledgeable. And I thought that podcast was really helpful and kind of, you know, listening to what she had to say. So we'll link that in the show notes as that well. Was great. Yeah. Great podcast for yeah. any of those issues if you're seeing those. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on signing? So I know some parents will be big into signing for lots of different things, lots of, you know, another way for baby to like communicate when they can't say words. I've tried to kind of do just a few, like the ones that I feel are important around food. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I attempt are all done and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is there some, I guess, benefit to doing this, do you think? Or like, what are your thoughts on signing signing just in general? Yeah, I love it. I've used it with both boys and especially if you can get them a little bait when you go into toddlerhood and they can't necessarily come up with the words but they can use their hands it has avoided quite a few tantrums that i've seen and even noah now he usually the typical more is like your all your fingers like pinch together and you tap them together Mm kind of like two little i don't know ducks tapping each other but he does the cute thing of like his palm out and his one pointer finger doing more like hitting it and (laughs) i mean he was signing like milk and more and stuff like that sort of by like nine ten months oh and 
it was great because sometimes he'd be done and he'd just start sitting there. And even now he does it when he can't talk. He'll sit there and like aggressively sign more. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, you want more food. So do you um, just like constantly use it and say like more and do it, do the signing until they just eventually pick up on it? Yeah. So like along with the feeding, if I was spoon feeding, I'd put it down and I'd say more um, and then I'd give him the food. Mm-hmm. So he would start to make that association. And then when we were done, I'd say all done. And I'd, you know, flip my hands out. Is that um, what you do for the all the all done as hands? Yeah, it's like, like your two hands, air. palms facing backwards, and then you push them forward, basically. That's okay, well yeah, that's what we've done before. Um, it has yeah. not clicked in with him, but I still do it when I remember. <laughs> yeah, and there's great, there's a lot of like babies singing sign classes. I did those a ton with my first, and he loved it. And I would like to take Noah more, but he, his nap schedule just hasn't lined up with it as much for some reason. For a um, signing class, you said? Mm-hmm. There were a lot of fun, like different songs and stuff. But because mm-hmm. I did it with my first so much, I knew, I know a lot of the signs still. So I'll do it. And we're really lucky. Our sitter is a fluent in sign language. So that helps oh. too. Kind of fun. So she uses it. Upstairs. So what other ones besides all done and more do you find the most beneficial? Uh, milk is great, especially too, because they, they get that one pretty quickly, when it's, <laughs> especially yeah. when it's breast milk. Um, let's see, all done, more. I, I'll do food too, which is kind of like on the side of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do other random ones like that I know for food, like banana. Um, I like just general signs. I don't know, like music is a good one. Um, I'll do different like animals, like cow and horse and pig, and those are fun mm-hmm. stories. Um help is a really good one that takes them a little bit help is a little bit more of a coordination but they they do start to learn they understand when you do it too um like especially at the 16 month period when Noah wants to communicate but he really doesn't he has quite a few words but he still can't really communicate the signs are like saviors for those main things okay like night night's a good one um he was doing that like 10 11 months he'd go like this when he was tired um so that was a good one. Sorry, night night is like your hand being touched to your head and then oh, yeah. turning your head over. Yeah, for yeah, those me, of you me all day long. Moment. When does mommy get to go night night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and daddy and, and mommy are good ones too. Cute. Okay, cool. Is there a good book? I mean, I, I'm sure if you just Google like online, there's probably tons of resources. Yeah, I never did a book. It's hard to understand for me, for like my learning style, watching hand signals on a book would be very hard. So probably YouTube would be a great one for that. Because actually YouTube. see videos of people doing it. Yeah. Okay. YouTube for literally anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. I'm going to do that more. Okay. So we kind of covered, you know, like the solids and the, at what age and how often, but I guess just give us maybe like a recap quickly of at six months, how often are you doing a day? Maybe like, you know, closer to a year. Like what's the, I've heard people say I do it two times a day. Some people are like, I, I feed solids, you know, three times a day with snacks. And I'm like, you've only 11 months. Like is that, how are, how do you do anything else? (laughs) what's, uh, What's your recommendation? It's definitely time consuming. Like the food is fun, but it also then you're like, oh, I have to go to the house and I have to remember food now. I just can't use my boob or whatever mm-hmm. a bottle. Um, so generally at six months, it's usually about one time a day and mid-morning is good. Kind of like after they've, you, you generally want to feed about 45 minutes to an hour after they've had breast milk. So they're hungry. They're not stuffed. Um, so mid-morning is generally a good time for the first couple feedings. Um, until about eight months. I think usually about eight months is when you kind of go up to two times per day, um, like mid-morning and then evening. 
and then generally around like 10, 11 months, yeah, you add in like a lunch. Sometimes as early as nine, it, it kind of depends on baby too. Like if they're hungry and they want food, then you're going to introduce more food and start adding in snacks. Like by 12 months, uh, Noah was eating snacks and three meals a day in massive quantities to the point where I was like, I'm going to need a loan to feed my children. In the <laughs> and bad teenagers are going to need their own fridge. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, and then are they like, are they still, I guess this totally depends, but you know, drinking milk in some capacity, whether that's formula, whether that's breast milk, they're still drinking milk mm-hmm. right up until like about what age do you think is most common to kind of switch to something? And then that's my biggest thing. All of a sudden I'm at that year mark where I thought, okay, finally going to be done pumping breast milk at a year. And now I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do that? He still drinks like a lot of milk. Yes. He eats three times a day, but like solids, but what would I even switch to? I don't even know the answer. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes, um, if you're just done breastfeeding in a year, then, uh, they would switch to formula or milk. Um, cow's milk. Yeah, cow's milk or goat milk. Yeah. I think it's hard though because I think they still need other nutrients that like formula provides. So I don't know if I would solely go on um just milk if you're not still breastfeeding. I'd probably I think they'd still need formula a few times a day as well. Like you said, Asher drinks a lot of milk still. Mm -hmm. Um and Noah too, even, you know, he still breastfeeds four to five times a day. Um so my thought is obviously as long as you want to breastfeed, probably the better. It's so many nutrients, immunity, everything along those lines. Um, you can introduce raw, or sorry, goat or cow milk kind of, I would say are my go-tos in terms of like nutritional panel if your baby is handling them well. And I prefer a raw, um, if it's available, or like a vat pasteurized, like um, I believe the grass milk brand is vat pasteurized. Um, that's a good one if you don't want to go the raw route. And, and raw is expensive. It's, 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 definitely is um plant milks are okay but they just don't carry the nutrient profile um that is that is really needed for babies um so i wouldn't suggest going off breast milk and only doing plant milk um i would certainly supplement supplement some sort of formula in there as well um if you wanted to go that route um typically I would say, like I said, so Noah's eating about three meals a day plus a snack or two and then breast milk. And he's 16 months. Kind of by two is when they really start to decrease. It's like twice a day for breast milk. You know, after 18 months, there's definitely more food involved. And then from there, kind of up to two, it kind of goes down. As the naps go down, I feel like you're kind of at three times a day. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of drop the nap one and then it's like two times a day. But honestly, it's kind of baby's preference. Some babies just keep nursing and that's, that's okay. And that's okay for the relationship. Um, I think that you can kind of go off formula um, definitely by two, I think is the, where you wouldn't need those extra nutrients. Um, and then just a raw or a goat or a cow milk would be okay if that's what you want to go with or a plant milk, like an almond milk or cashew milk or walnut okay. milk, depending on what you're. And then what about water? Water seems to be something that you introduce around solids, but how much do you think is appropriate? I mean, their kidneys are so tiny and I know that they can't handle much water. Like you shouldn't even give water until about six months or when you start introducing solids and um, 
also, I'd love for you, because I had no idea about this until I asked you, like, what sippy cup is the most, you know, non-toxic? And then mm-hmm. opened my eyes to like this whole other sippy cup issue. So can you share a little bit about, about water and sippy cups? Yeah, definitely. I think actually that's an important um, thing to cover because I think we tend to forget that drinking is also a skill and something that needs to be developed for babies as well. And the earlier you can develop these, uh, the skill of drinking from a cup, um, it actually helps with feeding skills. It helps um, strengthen the muscles in the jaw and the tongue and as well for feeding. Um, so it is quite important, actually. Um, for liquids around six months, I think they're usually drinking about um, one to two ounces in a day until about nine months. Then it goes up to typically around three to four ounces. And then after a year, it doesn't really matter how much they're consuming. Like there's not really a limit at that point. Um, but yeah, and also in terms of like liquids, like you don't want to be feeding them so much water that they're not taking in food or breast milk because they need those nutrients. And they are still getting a lot of liquid from their formulas or breast milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so help, and it also helps with constipation, obviously. So you don't want to introduce a little bit of it because it helps keeps things moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to just do bone broth instead of water, I think that that's great because of the extra nutrients or a little combo, an ounce of bone broth, an ounce of water. Um, all those minerals like calcium and stuff that's in the bone broth is really great for um, growing bodies. And um, I typically recommend skipping the sippy cup and going straight to either an open cup, which I know is very messy. Uh, a 360 cup is a great alternative, the Munchkin 360 cup, we can link to that. Um, it's relatively non-toxic. The smaller version is plastic. They make a larger version that's stainless steel but the lid is still partly plastic and silicone, which I don't love, but it's only for a few months. And if that's like the only thing that he's kind of using that's plastic, then I feel like there are some, <laughs> yeah, <what are> <laughs> some things I can consume. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, the larger one is nice though. They could, can use the handles from the smaller one and kind of get a lid to fit so that they can still carry it. Um, and the 360 cup is great because it's like drinking from a cup, but it doesn't spill. So as a parent, it's great because you don't have to worry about that so much. Um, to introduce it, I would kind of like, there's a, on the 360 cup, there's a silicone cover. That's what keeps the liquid in. I would kind of lift that up and take the cup to the baby's mouth and literally kind of pour it in them, like bring it to their lips and help them drink it so that they realize liquid comes out of there. And then they kind of figure it out. It kind of takes them a few tries and you really have to help them lift it up to be able to learn to like suck out of it. Um, so it does take a little bit of a learning curve, but they, they get it. And then once in a while I'd offer an open cup where like I was holding it and helping them. Um, and now he can drink from an open cup, which is nice. I don't, I still don't give it to him very often because it still can be very messy. Um, but the other thing that I would use a lot is a straw cup uh, because that also helps them strengthen those muscles. Whereas the sippy cup kind of, it doesn't really help them strengthen any muscles it kind of it's not great for the teeth as well um so i would prefer to skip it um straw cups are great i love the pura brand it's all stainless steel and all silicon there is no plastic in any of their bottle which is nice um the straw is a little bit bigger so it did take a little bit more for them to figure out and i kind of had to like take the straw out and like plug it with water and like drop it into his mouth so he understood that there was like liquid that was going to come out of this so it does take a little bit of fiddling and kind of encouragement for some of these things um but yeah those are my main recommendations and what is the reasoning behind 
So the typical sippy cup that you usually see is kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a little spout almost mm -hmm. with like a few holes in it and mm -hmm. the baby fits it right into its mouth. So there's a few articles. I know there's one that you had sent me that maybe we can try and link to, but why is that not a good idea? It has, has to do with their, their teeth, right? Yeah. Teeth. Uh, jaw development, I think part a little bit, maybe palate, like all that. And then also the the muscles in the jaw and the mouth, like the drinking out of a cup or straw actually strengthen those, whereas the sippy cup doesn't. It. it doesn't require them to work as hard. There's um this little honey bear thing that I have been using to teach him how to yeah. use a straw. Yeah, that's a good um, one. I can link to that too, but it's basically a talk, it's called Talk Tools Honey Bear Drinking Cup. And you can squeeze it. It literally looks like one of those old school like honey containers with the, the teddy bear kind of thing. But mm -hmm. you squeeze it and it comes out through the top. So it's like with the Pura, you know, it's like, well, how do they, like you're saying, you have to under, let them understand that like you're supposed to suck on this like a bottle. It's different. So yeah. I've been using that and that seems to work really well. I yeah, need to a, now switch over to the other one, but it's a really good one to train them with though. It's really yeah. easy. Yeah. And you can kind of do that one until they get used to it and then switch them and kind of help them with the other ones. Yeah. It definitely those, took them a little bit more to learn the Pura. Right. Like the, the thermos makes a decent one, but the straw is still plastic, but they make stainless steel water bottles with a silicone like mouthpiece for the straw part, but the actual straw inside the bottle is still mm. plastic. Yeah. It was kind of cringing when we were talking about the plastic because literally the entire honey bear straw <laughs> container, bear, everything yeah. top is all plastic. And I'm still using that to feed him because I just haven't really transitioned, but I need to try the, it's some, like, sometimes I just get used to something that works, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, oh, you need water here, squirt it in your mouth. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I should probably teach him again and kind of yeah. transition out of that. But um, I've also been, you know, it's like, you have to think about everything that they're consuming, yeah. but um, the like type of water, you know, like the type mm -hmm. of water that they're consuming is pretty important. They don't get much mm -hmm. of it. So I've been buying my favorite um, water is the Mountain Valley spring water. I actually have it here, Rachel. Oh yeah. The video, but um, it's spring water. So it has, you know, more nutrients and more minerals to it. So I've been buying that and he just has like his own bottle. I mean, clearly it's like 32 ounces, like, you know, he'll go through that and a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been making sure that he gets, you know, good quality water. Yeah. Or at the very least filtered water. Mm -hmm. um, just there's a lot of I mean that's actually one of the main um, sources of lead contamination is the water so it is actually pretty important to filter water yeah um, to avoid any of that okay so to kind of wrap up here are there any other besides Rachel um, are there any like what are your favorite resources I know that there's a few books that you and I both really like um, favorite brands that you want to mention? I know we also have a few, actually all of these we have in common, but if you wanted to share yours yes. and then I can share mine if there's any that you don't mention. Yeah, sure. Um, so for books, I really like the um, Super Nutrition for Babies book. That's a great one. Um, it also has a lot of recipes and goes through all of the nutrients. Um, the Nourishing Traditions for Baby is a good one as well that has, um, or for childhood and baby, I think is what it's called. Um, that's a really great one. Uh, one of my favorite online resources is Megan Garcia. Uh, she taught me so much, I think, from the very beginning. She's basically one of the first resources I found, and I feel very lucky to have found that when um, my first Ben was born because, you know, I learned a lot of stuff about 
how important iron was from her. And she has a lot of great recipes, like the liver recipe and um, bone marrow and um, banana fritters, which I feed them all the time, which are delicious and have bone marrow in them. So, you know, win-win. Um, and then as far as brands go, like Munchkin is a good brand in terms of like the, um, like I mentioned, the, the sippy or the 360 cup, uh, the pure water bottles, uh, Green Spouts is kind of a pretty good brand for snack containers and uh, freezer trays. Um, there's also some smaller like glass containers that you can get online, which are great for storing baby food. Um, we Sprouts is another good one for some of the, like the silicone mats and also freezer trays. Um, they also have like reusable food pouches. Um, the Avanki baby, like they make a bunch of bamboo plates that are suction. Those are good. Um, the easy peasy silicone bowl mat or the divided plates or the um, green sprouts feeding mat. I love the silicone mat. It's just easy. It's big. You put the food on it and they can kind of make a mess and it has a little lip on it. And so it's like a tray, so it kind of contains everything. Um, uh, Avanki also makes a longer baby spoon, like you were talking about, but that easy peasy spoon actually sounds very interesting. Grabbies, as we mentioned before. Um, and I can mention my favorite, you know, pre made stuff because I've been in the camp for a little bit of anything I blend and make him myself, he doesn't like, but he loves any types of like pouches. So mm. Rachel, actually, you were the one that told me about Serenity yeah. Kids and I've talked about them so much because they have been like literally absolutely yeah. life-saving. Um, they, those are basically the only ones that I feed, yeah. feed the boys if I don't, if I can't make my own food. Yeah. So, They're, um, pre-made, you know, pouches that they do come in. It's all BPA free and, you know, it's going to be the healthiest that it can be coming out of a pouch, but they do beef, they do bison, they have a salmon blend, they have turkey, chicken, and then they have root vegetables. They're all blended with either avocado oil, olive oil, uh, what else? Squashes are all organic. They even are a part of like a recycling program with the pouches when you're finished with them. Um, you have a code, correct? Yeah, I do. It's uh, nourishedkin15. Um, that would be my code. Yeah, they're great. I love them. Yeah. yeah. All their meats are pasture-raised, organic. They even have this bacon one, which I hadn't tried yet. Oh, yeah. He loves the bacon. Yeah. 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 So those have been, you know, life-saving because he's now getting used to the idea of all these different flavors and it's easy. And, you know, when you spend a good, however long grocery shopping and getting all the ingredients and then another good time pureeing it and food processing it and he hates it, that's like the most devastating <laughs> feeling. So <laughs> to yes. have these as like backups, I use those a lot, but I also mix in the really, really nutrient dense, important things like the egg yolks and the avocados and, you know, all the other stuff we talked about, but those are really good if you're looking for something that are quick and easy and even just like to travel with, they're super mm -hmm. awesome for traveling. Yes. I take suitcases full of them to like when we go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, another good brand I like for like you can find them in the fridge section is the once upon a farm ones those are actually locally yeah. made in san diego but my caution with those is they do have a lot more sugar than you would expect so i try to get like they have a smoothie one that actually had a lot more fat in it as well mm -hmm. so i try to look for the ones with a little bit of fat or i'll mix it with something i mean the serenity kids ones are like just a few grams of sugar because there's nothing there's not much fruit it's mostly the sugars come from vegetables so that's great so just be when you're looking at baby food packs look for organic ingredients also look at the fat and the sugar because some of those packs will have, you know, 12 grams of sugar and that is a lot of sugar in one feeding for a baby. Yeah. 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 Um, 
the other thing with the once upon a farm, they did just come out with a veggie blend. Um, they oh, have some yeah. broccoli and zucchini ones and stuff like that. So he doesn't love them. He eats any, like literally any of the serenities obsessed. He's yeah. like very hit or miss on any other, but the pouches, I feel like the only brands that I really will give to him are the once upon a time and the, or sorry, once upon a farm and the, yeah. the serenity. Yeah. My toddler still eats them. Like I will take those traveling or we're out in the bat and he'll not, he'll refuse vegetables all day and then he'll go grab a squash pack. And I'm like, if that's how you want to eat it, you eat right. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. at this point, whatever it is that you're going to eat. And at least I know it's like really good for you. In yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, go. I was just going to ask you to leave us our kind of like our wrapping up topic is tell us more about your first, first foods class and how we can find out more about you and all that fun stuff. Sure. So um, my website is www.nourishedkin.com and you can find me on Instagram at my handle is nourishedkin as well. That's N-O-U-R-I-S-H-H-E-D-K-I-N. Um, and I am offering local food classes in San Diego. I basically have a group of people that we talk about all, a lot of what we covered here, but so much more. I feel like there's a lot about the nutrients we still couldn't cover um, in terms of like more important nutrients and things like that. Um, but we talk about that. Uh, we prepare a couple of nutrient dense recipes together. Like I said, my favorite thing is getting people used to these weird foods and not so scared to prepare them themselves and giving them tips and tricks to make it easier. And then also setting them up with some of those foods to take home to baby and feed them, you know, if, if that's something they're, they don't, they're not in love with doing themselves. So it kind of gives them at least a place to start um, and the information to go with it. And so it's a lot of fun. You, I actually have people help me prepare so that they get used to handling it, um, which is great. And then we talk about introducing allergens. And then um, along with that, they get um, the ebook that goes along with the class. So they have all this information um, at their fingertips whenever they need to access it. And then I also, that includes entry into a private Facebook group that I run. And essentially it's like having me as a consultant for your time. So you can ask questions, we can feed off the group and get other ideas from other mamas and parents. And um, I can be there for you if you need, um, far beyond just the class. Um, and then I also am gonna be offering it virtually. I believe we're, we're gonna record the next class. And so um, I will do that at a reduced price as it doesn't include the food. Um, and that'll still include the ebook and the Facebook group as well. That's amazing. I feel so lucky that I, well, that I have you as a friend and I've gotten to just have you <laughs> at my little fingertips to text you and ask you all these questions and come to your house and have you make me liver pate. So if you are in San Diego, please make sure you try and come. It is just even if your baby is not ready for first foods, I, I waited till I was ready. And I was like, I felt very rushed and kind of like scared. I was like, okay, I need to do this. Like I, I should have figured this out earlier. So I don't think that there's like any age that's too young just to go and learn for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so when is the next one that you're having in person? Do you have a date? Yeah, the next one's February 22nd. Perfect. And I'm planning on running them once a month. I haven't decided quite on the March date yet. I'll probably get that one out soon. We might have to skip April because we're going to be gone quite a bit. Um, but I might offer two in May if there's a lot of interest or um, something along those lines. So. And are the dates listed on your website? Uh, yes. The okay. current one is listed. I will list the other ones. I'm going to start putting those out further in advance. Um, and if, I mean, you're not local to San Diego and you're in driving distance and you have a group of people and you want me to come teach a class, I would be open to that as well. Mm. If you have a kitchen 
Um, so yeah, you can contact me via the website. Um, if you go to nourishkin.com and then there's at the very top, there's a link to the first foods class page. You can submit an inquiry there and um, ask me any questions or, or sign up for one. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for your expert knowledge in all of this. I learned, of course, even more than I thought I, <laughs> I was like, I got this now, kind of, but no, <laughs> I always learn something new. So thank you so, so much for being here and for sharing with all these mamas. And even if you're not a mama and you just are interested in learning about first foods, it's, I mean, these nutrients are important, not just for babies, but for adults as well. <laughs> so you can always certainly make a lot of these recipes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to submit a question, you can email us at nutritionishpodcast at gmail.com or head over to the website and click under submit a question. Um, head on over to iTunes if you guys don't mind. If you love listening to our podcast, it means the world to us. Leave us a review. Um, and yeah, stay tuned every, I guess, other week now as we get some new episodes. Make sure to subscribe so they download right there for you. Um, Chelsea will be back with us, of course, and you know where to find her. You can go to nutritionwithchelsea.com or follow her on Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. And more from me, you can follow me at barefoodnutrition on Instagram or head to my website at barefoodnutrition.com and we will link everything on how to find more about Rachel, how to ask her questions, how to follow her on Instagram, and to find out more about her first food class. So thank you guys so much and we will chat with you soon.